I'll tell you the truth. So-called progressive liberal Christianity is spiritually and morally bankrupt. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, it's really, really interesting You can discuss issues with people, quoting scripture back and forth, people who say they are Christians, people who say they're followers of Jesus. And then when you press them on what the Bible actually says, when you press them about the plain meaning of scripture, some of them say, well, God's bigger than a book. Or who says the Bible is the final authority? And suddenly the real issues come to light and you realize the question is not one of how do we interpret this particular scripture? But what authority does God have in my life through his word? This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. I believe today's show will be very informative and helpful for you. Many of you have friends, loved ones, relatives who are part of, quote, progressive or liberal churches in the past called the mainline denominations, although those are fading more and more and for good reason. Some of you have had background in, quote, liberal progressive Christianity, or some of you may consider yourselves progressive in that you don't want to get caught up in the dead fundamentalism of the past or the letter of the law or legalistic system that beats people up. I think you'll be really helped by today's broadcast. Now, I want to extend an invitation to all those who differ with me, all those who take issue with my position on the issues that we'll discuss, on the authority of Scripture and things like that, by all means, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-348-7884. I'm not taking general Bible questions today, but by all means, feel free to interact. Now, tonight I'm scheduled to do a debate. It will be on radio, but then live streamed on YouTube, not on my channel, but another channel with Sonny Hernandez talking about for whom did Jesus die? Is atonement made, was atonement made for all human beings at the cross and effective for those who believe? Or was atonement made only for the elect? We'll be talking about that. We'll be posting links to it that you'll be able to catch up with later on. So we'll let you know about that. And also, later on in the broadcast, I just want to glorify the Lord 47 years ago today, was the night of real surrender to Jesus, the night when, by his grace, I said, I'll never put a needle in my arm again and have been free from that day on. So I always like to take time on December 17th to glorify the Lord. All right, so I have written about, quote, progressive Christianity, and many, quote, progressive Christians are constantly attacking evangelicals and speaking against evangelicals and obviously differing with any support we have for Donald Trump, even if we do it with with caveats, uh, we get blasted for that. But more importantly, we get blasted for our historic moral stance when we stand up for sexual purity, when we stand up for the biblical meaning of marriage and God's intent for marriage, when we stand up for pro-life movement, 
when we quote scripture, we're, we're called Bible bashers. We're hitting people over the head with the word and we're criticized and we're not walking in love. We're not like these progressives who are more enlightened. And over the weekend, this, this one progressive pastor, I've reached out to a number of occasions, don't have a personal phone number or anything like that, but tweeted to him and posted things saying, hey, let's interact, let's dialogue. We have some strong differences, let's dialogue. And never once responded to me under any circumstance. And then to my surprise, over the weekend, I saw that he attacked me in a tweet. And that led to then me interacting with many of his followers, some of whom also are, quote, progressive Christians, some of whom are progressive, are professing LGBT Christians, uh, some of whom are atheists and God mockers and things like that. Got a wide range of Twitter followers. So I ended up interacting in the midst of, of writing through the weekend and working on some other projects. I, I ended up interacting, maybe exchanged several hundred tweets total with people from a wide range of backgrounds. And the more interaction we had, the more I was grieved by the spiritual and moral bankruptcy of the positions they were espousing, the message they were bringing. Now, now what's interesting, what's interesting is that I, I am a revolutionary by nature, meaning I, I burn on the inside to see change come to a sinful and corrupt and dying world. I, I burn to see the religious system challenged. I, I burn to see the status quo of dead orthodoxy without the living spirit. I learned, yearn to see that overthrown with a, a living, holy, spirit-empowered, Jesus-glorifying Orthodoxy. And uh, our, our students that go around the world live sacrificial revolutionary lives. Our grads go for it. And they're, they're fighting human trafficking. They're working with the poorest of the poor. They're taking the gospel where it hasn't gone before. They're working in, in war-torn Muslim nations in the world to, to rehabilitate, to, to find channels of food and clothing and education and things like that. They are people who go against the grain. And as I said, working sacrificially, sometimes in life-threatening situations and, and here and there in absolutely deadly situations where it costs a life to stand for the gospel. So we are anything but, and I am anything but people who are into the status quo of traditional religion. Uh, in that sense, I am not a traditionalist. I challenge the traditions of Judaism and I challenge the traditions of Christianity when I see them deviate from Scripture. But I am absolutely a Bible person, a word of God. God, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. Excuse me, but his words will never pass away. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The living God-breathed word, that's my foundation. And I find the Bible, the Scriptures, to be the most revolutionary book ever written the most world-changing book ever written, the book that is banned from more countries in the world than any other book, not to mention the best-selling book of all time, God's Word, a compilation of different books from different authors through whom God breathed and produced His Scripture, His infallible, inerrant Scripture. That's what I live by. That's, that's the foundation of who I am. And to me, that fuels my revolutionary fires, my go against the grain, swim against the tide, fires all the time. And, and the progressive Christians, they would be the ones that say 
that we are stuck in dead religion, that we are just stuck in the traditions of previous generations, that we would have been the ones to support slavery, that we would have been the ones to support segregation, that we would have been the ones to fight against the right for women to vote, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, there's a slight criticism in that, which is true, because those that hold to biblical boundaries can sometimes get stuck in their own prejudices. Those who hold to biblical boundaries can sometimes mistake their own preferences uh, for, for God's heart. But those that just ignore biblical boundaries give way to spiritual and moral anarchy. So what I see the so-called progressive Christians and the folks that were attacking me over the weekend. And again, I just use it as a teachable moment because I was at my computer writing day and night. I, I had time to just stop and interact here and there with different people. Not one, not one of them, not one of them, not one of them produced a single scripture to support their viewpoint. Not one. And not one of them could answer any verses that I or others posted in any meaningful way. And the great vast majority of what they had to say was rhetoric and insult. The great majority of it. Uh, post after post after post, tweet after tweet after tweet. Some were so nasty and vile we had to block them. That's, that's always going to happen. But otherwise, not a single substantive point raised on their end, not a single scripture raised to support their viewpoint. And instead, just insults like the one that started it from Pastor John Pavlovitz. Again, I've reached out to him before and did it again over the weekend. This is what he wrote. When hopelessly phobic people of faith like Dr. Michael Brown claim that God is against homosexual practice. And I guess it's this hashtag, you know, whatever it's, that's not a thing. So hopelessly phobic people of faith. In other words, because I love Jesus. I love his word. I love God's standards. I love God's ways. I love God's design for the human race. That makes me, quote, hopelessly phobic. But you see when people, that's the, the foot forward that they put. And then not even a reply. Hey, come on my radio show. Hey, let's do a moderated debate. Hey, let's, let's interact. Let's interact privately. Let's get on the phone and talk. Let's do it. Whatever the invitation, not even a response, not even a no thank you. And then another insult, another slam. I feel bad for the people. But here's the point I want to make, and, and this, I, I think, is really, really important. This is really, really important. <clears throat> They're the status quo people. They're the ones going with the status quo. of so Oh, we're progressive. We embrace LGBT Christians. We embrace same-sex couples. We embrace trans individuals. And, you know, a man identifies as a woman. We say more power to you, etc., in other words, we embrace them and affirm them as they are, not embrace them and say, hey, here's, here's how you can change in Jesus, right? They think they're being the culture revolutionaries. No, you're the, you're the one going with the cultural norms. You're the one going with the new oppressive culture that's trying to stymie any other beliefs, that's trying to stop people from holding to these things, that's trying to invade churches and harass pastors and, and harass people on social media, and, and tell them they don't have a right to hold to what Scripture is. You are the status quo people. That's the amazing thing. The so-called progressives are the ones who are now the status quo Christians, enforcing oppressive societal norms at the expense of the gospel, and in doing so, calling themselves revolutionary. That's sad to me. You, you say, are none of them, do none of them have good motivation? I think a lot of them have good motivation. 
I do. I think they meet people. They care about people. They think, man, I was so homophobic before, and that's, I don't relate to homophobia, but maybe they were. I was so homophobic before, and, and, and I was so prejudiced before, and I met you know, some of these gay folks, the sweetest, nicest people I know. I, I took that for granted. I started there. That's my starting point. And, you know, some of these gay couples, they just love each other and they're so committed to each other. Yeah, I assumed that from the start. Nothing new there. I didn't need to be, I didn't need to learn that. <clears throat> My first organ teacher when I was, what, six years old was a, was a gay man and came to our house with his partner and they'd have dinner with us. Yeah, I assume, I assume all that. And I also see what scripture says and I also know God's plan. And I also know plenty of people who've come out of homosexual practice by the grace of God. And it's amazing these so-called progressive Christians who are really the, the champions of the cultural status quo that oppresses the gospel right now, they're the ones that are threatened by the idea of anybody coming out of homosexual practice. It's amazing. It's amazing. God of light, hear our cry. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. It's not a matter of what I believe the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that premarital sex relations are wrong. That was Reverend Billy Graham on the Woody Allen show. It's an amazing clip. I found this on YouTube. I'd seen some of this at the Billy Graham Library and then spotted it on YouTube yesterday where Billy Graham is on different shows, TV shows. I'm just looking at some of them here. Woody Allen and Jack Parr show, TV Meeting Point, uh, Phil Donahue. And you knew, you knew, friends, when Dr. Graham was going to be on secular TV. As an unbeliever, you knew what he was going to talk about. I remember Nancy and I watching. We saw he was going to be on Johnny Carson's show. I guess we were newly married. And, and, and we, I believe we watched it together. And Johnny Carson said to Billy Graham, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I can't even quote all the Ten Commandments. And Billy Graham said to him with a smile, but you've broken them all. But you've broken them all. Now, when we have a famous Christian leader on TV, you almost expect the person to be like a, a life coach or, or a, a, a positive thinking coach or a slick sounding salesman. The world used to expect Christian leaders to call out sin and call for repentance. Now, when they do, they're, they're considered fanatical. 866-34-TRUTH. I want to go to the phones in a moment, but let, let's go into one of these clips. Uh, Billy Graham on the Jack Parr show. So Jack Parr was like a forerunner to Johnny Carson and one of the early pioneers in this regard. I don't know the, the exact format of this dialogue here, who the other guests are, but listen to this interaction, Billy Graham on a major secular TV show. All right. Hey, guys, if you could play that clip, we've got it frozen our, our end. So if you just give me a thumbs up when it's ready on your side, and then, uh, then we'll play it. I'm going to go to the phones. To oh, here we go. To be bad, you teach a child. All, right, all right, hang on. We'll, we'll cut it there. It's not playing properly. We'll get that worked out, and we'll go to the phones in the meantime. Uh, David in Colorado, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Uh, you see me on Twitter as a veteran for Jesus. Ah, okay. Yeah, I spotted you over the weekend, sir. 
Uh, yes. Hello. I just wanted to talk about, uh, I agree with you. Um, so preaching from the pulpit, um, you know, the grace message without repentance is being preached. And that is one yeah. of the biggest problems I've seen. You know, we're not hearing the James chapter four message anymore. No, and you know what chapter I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, being reminded uh, that there's an adulterous carnal friendship with the world that's enmity with God and that we need to repent. And when we're in sin like that and compromise, grieve and wail. Yeah. And, and in hyper grace circles, repentance is simply said to be a change of mind, meaning that you have to renew your mind about yourself so that you now think of yourself as righteous and there's no turning from sin. That's part of it. In fact, that's right. denied to even be part of the meaning of the word. So, yeah, it's, it's a dangerous message for sure. I, I, I was really shocked. It was a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to uh, blast them out on public, but um, the head pastor of the mega church here, he said that I'm only going to preach the message of grace. If you want to hear the other type of message, go to a different church. And I was completely blown away when he said that. And I was like, mm. I can't listen to this. And I, He's the, the head pastor of the megachurch, you know, and I'm like, yeah. that is such a, the most dangerous position you can be in, um, you know, because people aren't going to hear that message. They're just going to hear one-sided, but... If yeah, and, and look, the message, the message of grace is wonderful and glorious, but number one, it's not the only message in the Bible. Otherwise, that would be the only message in the Bible. You wouldn't have tens of other foundational message and hundreds of other important messages. That's one thing. The second thing is, are you rightly preaching the message of grace? And then a third thing, anything can be overemphasized. You can overemphasize the love of God until there's no justice of God. You can overemphasize the justice of God until there's no mercy of God. Yeah, absolutely, David. Uh, reason for concern, for sure. All right, tell you what, Jasper, let's play clip number one, Billy Graham on Jack Parr. You don't have to teach a, a child to be bad. You teach a child to be good. The child will, will automatically lie. A child will automatically slap its mother. And the Bible teaches that we have this thing down inside of us. This is what Christ taught. This is what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation, that we have a disease. And this is why Christ came that first Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about, that he came to save us from this disease. Because if this disease ran rampant in the world, it could destroy the human race. Ah, how refreshing to hear someone talking about human sin and our need for a savior and our need for redemption. What does it say in Matthew 1? You shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the whole gospel message. What, what does John the Immersive say in John 1? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does Paul write in Romans 6 that, that we, through baptism, die to sin, that we can now live to God. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. That's the message. Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We don't preach what the Bible says about sin. We don't preach what the Bible says about repentance. We don't preach what the Bible says about new life in Jesus. And we call it a gospel. In fact, this is something really, really interesting. And I'm going to look at some of these tweets from over the weekend. I've known this for years, I've seen it for years. 
But the existence of ex-gays, of people who've come out of homosexual practice, of people who either say no to their same-sex attractions and follow Jesus and are blessed, or of people who have been transformed and are no longer attracted to the same sex, but to the opposite sex and are following Jesus. The existence of ex-gays must be denied. Why? Because people want to be comfortable where they are, who they are. I was born this way. That's what they would say. I was born this way. And I understand that for many gays and lesbians, that's the earliest consciousness they have of their sexuality and their attractions. So in their mind, it feels as if they were born that way. There remains no reputable scientific evidence that anyone is born gay. But even if someone was, we're all born with sinful nature. That's the orientation we need to focus on, sinful orientation. Every one of us, every one of us left to ourselves would drift away from God and walk in rebellion. Paul writes in in Ephesians 2 that, that we were alienated from God by nature, objects of wrath, following the desires of the flesh and the mind. Yeah, that's human nature outside of the gospel. That's why we need a savior. So when I made a comment, when I made a comment about ex-gays, and I know many of them, someone replied, no, you don't. You know many gay men and lesbians who are lying because people like you and society bully and harass them for who they are. There are no biblical references to homosexuality. Your God is graceless and a murderous pig. You're a liar who is a grifter. You're dismissed. I guess I got blocked after that. Uh, I responded, May the Lord help you to face the truth. The fact that you have to lie and slander is proof that your position is morally and spiritually bankrupt. That's very sad. So here's someone who either doesn't believe the Bible, but then is going to quote the Bible to me, mock our God. And the bottom line is, I never got involved in any type of public issues about LGBT activists until it came knocking on our door. Otherwise, to me, someone same-sex attracted was another person to reach with the gospel like anybody else. Another human being in need of redemption. Last thing I want to do is bully someone, but I will respond to bullying and say, hey, we'll, we'll do what's right for our kids. I mean, we'll stand for our convictions and our liberties. You know, what kind of responses did I get? And you could read the scores, maybe hundreds of tweets. Uh, how, how about this one? Dr. Michael Brown is a capo or a capo. German, in other words, like one of these Jews that would work with the Nazis. This is the, this is the type of moral bankruptcy in these positions. This, this, is, this is all that people could come up with. I responded, good job. Now start calling a Jewish follower of Jesus a Nazi collaborator. Uh, another one, uh, John, meaning John Pavlovitz, is much nicer than me. So by insulting me and posting falsely about me, he's being nice Uh, John is much nicer than me. You are the liar. Your life is a lie. So because I've been transformed by the cross, delivered from heavy drug use and rebellion and anger and pride, because the Lord's wonderfully transformed me and I enjoy intimacy with him, and I've seen people transformed from every walk of life, including people who've come out of homosexuality and people who once identified as transgender, even had uh, sex change surgery and are now following Jesus and are whole and changed people. The only response that these folks have is you're a liar and your life is a lie. They can't, the, the authentic truth is too frightening, too unnerving, too challenging. You know, it's like the people in the gatherings in, in Mark 5 and Parallels in the Gospel, 
begging Jesus to leave their region after he set that terribly demon-possessed man free, the man who was possessed by a legion of demons, right? So a couple thousand demons. When that man is set free and clothed in his right mind and he's no longer naked, cutting himself and screaming out, and, and the, the people see that, they beg Jesus to leave. This is a little, little too much for us. Let, let, us, let him be the really bad sinner, then our sin isn't so bad. But now that he's set free, what does that say to me? Oh, now it's getting a little too close for comfort. It's like the parents in Pensacola who used to ask us to pray for their kids because their kids were lost. And then their kids would get wonderfully saved and come home and say to mom and dad, I'd come home from revival service and mom and dad are watching some unclean movie. They said, I, I thought you were a Christian. And the parents said, well, we, didn't, we didn't want our kids to become religious fanatics. Oh, so now they get really saved. It, it messes with the semi-saved. If you get my drift, we'll be right back with your calls, more clips from Billy Graham and a bit of my testimony. It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I long to hear men, women of, men and women of God standing up, speaking out with clarity, with force, or oh, with love, with brokenness, with tears, but not compromising the message, not holding back the message, telling the whole truth, the disturbing truth. Friends, we have gotten so used to a compromised message. We have gotten so used to a half-hearted message. We have gotten so used to a user-friendly message that bypasses the cross We have gotten so used to a non-offensive message that we no longer preach the true gospel in many of our circles, but more of a self-help message. Friends, we've been doing this for decades. It's just gotten progressively worse, and now we're reaping the fruit of it and seeing a young generation growing up under this moral ambiguity of a culturally correct message that is counter to Scripture. We, we are now seeing the fruit as so many of these young people growing up in church are confused about the gospel and leaving church because they're not finding a consistent message. Welcome to The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown, 866-34-TRUTH. If you want to weigh in with your own story that intersects with this, or if you've come out of so-called progressive or liberal Christianity to experience the real Jesus and the real gospel— Or if you consider yourself a progressive Christian or a gay Christian and believe that I'm a Bible-bashing fundamentalist, phone lines are open. 866-348-7884. I want to play a clip for you. This is Billy Graham, and he is on the BBC TV Meeting Point broadcast. So this is a TV show Uh, I posted this on Twitter and Facebook. So if you go to any of those accounts, ask Dr. Brown on Facebook or Dr. Michael L. Brown on Twitter, you'll see a link to this video about five minutes long, a compilation of different shows in which Billy Graham appeared, secular TV shows, getting his message out. Uh, Let's listen to this interaction, BBC TV meeting point. Do you believe in hell? I believe that Jesus talked about hell. I believe that he taught that there was a hell in this life 
and a hell to come. Now what form that hell takes in the future, we have a great deal of symbolic language in the Bible to describe it, and I would not uh, try to describe it at all. But I do believe that there's an eternity, a heaven and a you hell. You would be prepared but to call it an eternal torment? I would be prepared to call it the words that Jesus called it. He used the words condemned, he used the word lost, he used the word hell, whatever he might have meant by that. Yeah, so here you've got obviously these intellectuals on BBC TV and the, the thing that's the hardest, 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 hardest thing for Christian to hold to is the idea of hell or any type of future punishment. Everything else is easy compared to that. And Billy Graham says, Jesus talked about it a lot. So what do you believe? What do you say? Well, Jesus talked about it a lot. What do you think? Well, I believe what Jesus said about it without backing down. Contrast that with a lot of folks on TV today. It's a stark contrast. It's another reason why there's so little fear of God in our society. So little consciousness of God in our society. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to the phones in Charlotte, North Carolina. Cheryl. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. It's so good to talk with you. Thank um, you. I'm a torchbearer, my husband and I. Well, thank and you so much for your support. Well, you are a blessing. And you're very supportive to us because we have uh, family members who are living a gay lifestyle. And um, I just wanted to call you and tell you that we are trying, although we do not have a public platform, we are trying to represent the truth just within our own family and in our mm -hmm. own uh, uh, people that are in our lives. But I wanted to let you know that persecution is alive and well in the United States of America today mm. because... Um, just recently, my brother, who expresses that he is a Christian homosexual, started to publicly bash Bible-believing Christians publicly. Mm. And when he started to do that, we have been very gracious, um, you know, for 30, 40 years, uh, and taught our, our children to love people who don't know the Lord, but we also taught them what the Word of God said. But... Mm -hmm. um, I'll just be brief, but recently, because uh, the um, opposition to the Word of God became public, um, my husband and I uh, broached the subject and talked about how God is His Word and that He opposes that lifestyle. Anyway, long story short, we, my husband and I, have been disinvited from the Christmas activities with our grandchildren and our family. And mm. the, the gay relative and gay lover and gay lover's parents are now going to be celebrating with our uh, adult children and grandchildren. So it's, you know, we know we're suffering and being persecuted for righteousness' sake, but I just wanted to let people know out there that unless we love people enough to speak the truth to them, that they will never know. And we will be responsible for bringing them to a place that they will not be with the Lord for eternity. And so it is very difficult at times. We have to make tough decisions. But I just wanted to concur with you that 
you know, we are listening to you, we are following, we are trying to speak the truth in love, and it's more and more costing us. Even members of our own families can become our enemies. But, um, you know, this is what we're called to be, is light and salt and ambassadors for Christ in, yeah. in the earth today. And whether it costs us, you know, a family function or, you know, whatever it costs us, you know, people's eternal eternal salvation and their eternal lives are at stake. So and and Cheryl, right. yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, it's one thing, you know, when we're in a you're in a country and people are put to death for the gospel, or thrown in jail for gospel for the gospel. We're not experiencing that on any type of regular basis in in America, but we are experiencing this family upheaval. Jesus said it would happen that yeah. division would come in the family for the gospel, but it it does sting. It it does sting when you're, you know, separated from grandkids at a special time of the year or don't get to see family. And right. what's interesting is that you're not the ones pulling away. You're the ones, and, and you didn't even, in that sense, start the fight. It was just when this relative went public bashing scripture that, that you felt it was right to respond. And, and show just for the sake of our, of our listeners, when you talk about speaking the truth in love, uh, did you say to this loved one, you're an abomination, God hates you? Uh, no, absolutely not. Right. I, I mean, I, I assume that that's why I asked. So so what did you say? We said that um, God's grace is sufficient and it covers every sin. And God loves us very much, but he came and suffered and died on the cross to pay the penalty for the salvation of our sins. And we all have them. We have yeah. all been, we've all been born with a propensity to sin, yeah. and those sins are varied depending upon the people, but yeah. we have to come into agreement with God and come into agreement so that we can receive yeah. His grace. He's already paid the price. Yeah, so for sharing that, you get cut off from family and loved yeah. ones. Hey, hey, Cheryl, I, I want to ask uh, all of our listeners and viewers now just to pray for you and your family, that the Holy Spirit would work, and first that His presence would be so real in the midst of being cut off from, from family during holiday times, but that His Spirit would work in the lives of these other family members who are cutting you off, who have turned hostile. Obviously, some are attacking the Bible because they feel as if religion or God is attacking them or singling them out or something like that. And, and there's this reaction, this anger, maybe they suffered rejection in different ways. But we want to pray that the Holy Spirit would really work in their lives. And then in the midst of their celebrating and, and patting each other on the back for, quote, doing the right thing, that, that God would really penetrate open hearts, open minds, and bring them to salvation and new life. Hey, God bless you, Cheryl, you and your husband. May his grace be more than sufficient for you right now. Thank you. 866-34-TRUTH. So glad to get this. Real life, friends. Real life. But if we compromise, not only do we hurt ourselves, we hurt others as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Dan in Alaska. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Awesome. Um, hey, I appreciate your ministry so much. And uh, it's interesting when I tuned in today and you're talking about John Pavlovich. Did you happen to read uh, a post article he wrote about a month ago 
titled something something along the lines of "We Must Stop the White Evangelicals." I, you know, I, I glanced at it. Uh, to be honest, I um, uh, I I saw it when when he went after me the other day, and I, I keep reaching out. I'd love to sit down with him face to face, have a meal with him. We'll, we'll share our differences. Right. Um, glad glad to do it. But um, I, I glanced at it, and I don't. I'm not sure if he's white himself, if he has any other ethnic background, but I think he's Caucasian. But I, I saw a bunch of things where he would attack white evangelicals. And, and to me, I found his, the few articles that I did read, I haven't read his, either of his books yet, but I found him to be extremely hypocritical, extremely, my perception, what I was reading was this self-righteous attack on others and this, you know, holier than thou kind of thing that was tremendously unfortunate and no, no, yeah. no understanding, even say of you know evangelicals voting for Donald Trump to vote against Hillary Clinton for the sake of the unborn. Not a hint of understanding that. Not a hint of understanding that there was standing for religious liberties or standing against radical Islam, and that's why we voted for someone that was out of our comfort zone. No, no, no. Just white evangelicals right. want power, and they're the evil ones. So I, I found exactly. it to be naive, superficial, and and quite false. Well, that's what struck me about it, is that he uh, sees us as the problem. And, um, yeah, and if you read, there was an article he had before that, um, blasting Trump, of course, and Trump's uh, way of talking and rhetoric, and then you turn around and read his, and like you, you switched out the name, he's doing the very same thing. Yeah, again, that, that's what I find unfortunate. Look, I, I'm taking issue with him here, but I'm, I'm trying to do it as judiciously right. as, as possible. And again, he's, you know, um, you know, with, with the Twitter attack, I was like, come on, man, don't, let's get into silly exchanges like this. There's a lot in terms of his motivation that I like, just terribly misguided, sadly misguided. But, but I'd like to help him. You bet. All right, we'll be back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I tweeted out the other day, according to the contemporary American gospel, Jesus came to make sinners successful rather than bring them to salvation. Sad, but true. I also tweeted that in times past, the world expected Christian leaders to speak against sin. Now it's considered taboo. So before I I take a moment to glorify the Lord for saving me, delivering me, setting me free from my addiction to the needle 47 years ago this day, I want to play one more clip. This is from a montage found on YouTube of Billy Graham on different TV shows. It's amazing. Here he is on Woody Allen, right? Woody Allen. And Woody Allen is is saying, you know, come on. Uh, before you buy a car, you test drive it. So you should have sex before you're married. You know, check the, have sex with the person first and then see if it works to get married. And, uh, you know, of, of course, you could ask the question, so... And that's your daughter, so someone should test drive your daughter like she's a car. You know, but I mean, Billy Graham answered with such wisdom and love 
with a smile of grace, but speaking the truth, not backing down at all. So here he is on Phil Donahue, okay? Billy Graham on Phil Donahue. I don't have the exact year, but let's listen to this exchange. Let's listen to what Billy Graham has to say. You know, Phil, what you're trying to do and what we're trying to do is to develop a God like ourselves. We, we do not want the revelation of God. We do not want God to say, I'm a God of judgment, I will judge you, and uh, so forth. We don't want that. Right. We want to make God in our image so that we become guilty of idolatry, which is the worst of all sin. Whoa. Uh, you know what, Jasper? Chew that up again. Uh, uh, we're going to take a minute before we play it, but <laughs> when is the last time you heard a Christian leader on a totally secular TV show talk like that. Hey, how often, <clears throat> how often do you hear Christian leaders on their own shows talk like that? How, how much do we hear this on Christian TV, let alone on secular TV? So they're having interaction going back and forth. Let's, let's play that clip again. You know, Phil, what you're trying to do and what we're trying to do is to develop a God like ourselves. We, we do not want the revelation of God. We do not want God to say, I'm a God of judgment. I will judge you and uh, so forth. We don't want that. Right. We want to make God in our image so that we become guilty of idolatry, which is the worst of all sin. Boom. Nailed it. Whoa. Said everything right there in terms of human nature. We want to make ourselves into a God, the God of self, the God of making ourselves the, the final decisor, that, that we decide what's right and what's wrong. We, we de- it, it's absolutely remarkable. We don't want to hear about judgment. We don't, no, 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 accountability. No, 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 no. I interacted with someone this morning. They had seen some of the thread where these different, quote, progressive Christians and professing gay Christians and and others, non-professing Christians were going after me. And I did my best to engage as many as I could. And a few got really violent and just blocked them. But but others, I just kept engaging. And then one by one by one, they dropped out. Or they, you know, they blocked me and and mocking, you know, you you need to learn, study. It's like, actually, it's my field. So I have a PhD in the very thing you're challenging me in. It it just, you know, inane stuff. And their arguments were were self-refuting arguments. And and they were completely unaware that their positions were bankrupt and had been dismissed. And then anyone whose name you'd bring up that had a different view, oh, the person's full of hate. all All they did was regurgitate it, the talking points they had. And the moment you challenged them, the moment you challenge those talking points, they, they, had, they had no response except to leave or to, to blast you or to mock you, to block you. That's the only response they had to the truth and light. It was, it was very revealing and very sad to see. So, and I, did, I didn't start that particular interaction in any event. <clears throat> I interacted with one fellow this morning. And, of course, he had complete misconceptions about who I was and what I believed. And he was saying he's a gay Christian, and his upcoming marriage is going to be a gift from God. He's going to use James 1.17 as his text that, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And I said, well, you're, you want me to believe your story. 
you won't believe my story when I know people have come out of homosexuality. Well, you still has a hard time believing it. So, so we went back and forth on that. And I said, I, I believe your story. I believe your story that, that you find great relief in feeling that, that this is fine in God's sight and that you're excited about marrying your partner. And, and I, I believe your story. And you feel blessed in doing it. You perceive that. I said, I believe your story. So but the problem is that I know people that got divorced with no biblical reason to, to marry a person they were having an adulterous affair with. And now they thought oh, we're thriving. We're happy. We're good. Our lives are blessed, etc. Well, this is self-deceived. I said, that's the problem. What you're saying is contrary to scripture. And he said, well, who made the Bible a final authority? Hang on, you're, you're just quoting scripture to me and talking to me about the gospel. And now when I come back with scripture, you're saying, who made the Bible a final authority? And, and God's quote, bigger than a book. Yeah, God's bigger than a book, but God reveals himself in that book. And that, that book tells us who he is and what's right and wrong in his sight. And if you dismiss that book, you dismiss him. <clears throat> so I, I ended up just lovingly warning him, saying, you're, you're on the path to deception and death. What we think is enlightened is just self-idolatry, that my view transcends Scripture, that my view is the final view of, of morality, that, that I'm the, the arbiter, I'm, I'm the one who decides what's right and wrong, what's truth and error. That's scary. That's dangerous. Think of, think of the power of self-deception. We can deceive ourselves as easily as we can deceive anybody else. That's why we humble ourselves and go to God and say, God, have mercy. I'm a frail human being, but I trust you. I'm, I'm just a sheep. You're the shepherd. Open my heart, open my mind that I can see. So uh, one other thing that was so revealing in, in interaction when I come back to, to Scripture is everything had to be dismissed. Here, here I, I mean, this argument that the Bible— the authors of the Bible were not aware of loving same-sex relationships because we've only recently understood sexual orientation. Oh, so I'm to understand that these gay activists and their allies, I'm to understand their position that until last generation, there were no loving, long-term, committed same-sex relationships in the world? That, that's what I'm supposed to understand? Because we now only now understand sexual orientation? What kind of rubbish is that? Wow. It's in the name of enlightenment. You get spiritual darkness and bankruptcy. Very sad. But friends, I'm not sad because of the goodness of the Lord flowing in my life. I grieve for others. But in the summer of 1971, August of 71, as a heroin shooting LSD using rebellious hippie rock drummer, I went to a church service, little Italian Pentecostal church in Queens, New York, to pull out my two best friends, fellow band members who were starting to go to church because they liked two girls who were in the church. And little by little, God was changing them. So I went to pull them out and God began to convict me of my sin. I was very proud of my sin. In fact, the number one stronghold of my life was pride. And then the two, number two stronghold right behind that was drugs. The fact that I was Jewish in a church, yeah, that bothered me a little, but that was, that was way, way, way down the line because I was not a religious enough Jew for it to have mattered more. Anyway, I left that service like, well, whatever, you have your religion, I have mine kind of thing, and you go your way, I'll go mine. If the band separates, whatever, but I'm living the way I'm living, but these people here seem nice, so whatever. What happened was people praying for me. I finally went back November 12th of 71, and that night, just to do something that would give a rise to the people, I didn't 
intend to do it in a meaningful way. I went up and prayed the sinner's prayer thinking, well, they'll get a kick out of this big sinner going up there. But as I did, I'd been talking to my friends about the gospel day and night for months. As, as I said the words, I thought, you know, I, I believe this is true. I believe this is true. I do believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead, but I'm absolutely not willing to turn or repent or follow him or give up my drugs, rock scene and the whole thing. And so I went through five weeks of intense dealings of God, going to church one day, shooting heroin the next. Now, I would never shoot heroin the same day I would go to a church service. But I go to church one day and, and then get high day and night, you know, smoke pot morning, afternoon, evening, shoot heroin, shoot speed, use LSD, whatever. I was a heavy drug user, used to be called drug bear and Iron Man. You just uh, read my testimony or watch my testimony at our website, sdrbrown.org. Just click on about and, and you could hear, read, watch my testimony from LSD to PhD. And uh, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, December 17th, 71, 47 years ago today, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get to the service that night. I had this tremendous anticipation. And as we sang these little ditty hymns, you know, there's within my heart a melody, Jesus whispers sweet and low, or blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, or whatever it was, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing will be. These little ditty hymns, quite different from the going to concerts and seeing Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and Jethro Tull and The Who and The Doors and Janis Joplin and Grateful Dead, all the bands that I would see and, and the volume so loud it blast your ears out. <clears throat> so different from all of that. These little hymns, I got flooded with this inexpressible and glorious joy. And I realized this is the joy of the Lord. This is different. This is how much God loves me. I had a mental picture of myself clothed, uh, filthy from head to toe, and then washed clean by the blood of Jesus with these beautiful white robes on me. And I was going back in the mud. And I said, Lord, I will never put a needle in my arm again. And from that night on, I've been free. And that's the point that I know. That was the point of surrender. What an amazing life it's been. And I believe the best is yet to come. You call out to him wherever you are. He will hear you. He's faithful.